Galatians chapter 2, as you're turning there, are you aware of the fact that there are no perfect churches? Are you aware of this? Talk to me. Are you aware that there's no perfect churches? If you're online, are you aware that there's no perfect churches? I think we are aware of that. However, we do not always act like we're aware of that. I got no amens in the building. I'm believing that online you were amening me on that. No, we don't amen that, right? Because there are things that we prefer. We live in a culture that there are literally 50 to 100 choices around you. To choose. Like there, there, that's very real. And, and if we were to just like dip our toe into that water of preferences, right? Like churches split all the time. Churches close all the time over the craziest stuff. I mean, there, there's, there's things that like aren't doctrinal issues. It always blows my mind. One of the things our elders uh, we talk about sometimes when we're just thinking and praying is, you know, if we're a body, right? Like if, if you're a member of this body and you, you leave, it would be like ripping a finger off. Like nobody does that in real life on purpose anyway. But yet we sometimes miss the significance of the family of God, don't we? I mean, that's why, it's why we have um, these jokes, right? Like, oh, they split over the color of the carpet, right? Like, you know, or there'll be like other jokes like, oh, well, he's a back row Baptist. You know, like, like just like, like these things or we'll make fun of like that you out like having a signed seat when you come here. Like you always sit in the same spot. I do. <laughs> I'm not mixing it up. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know what I'm saying? Right? Like, like we have these things and even a young church like ours who's not even six years old, like we... We get these routines and these rhythms and ra- and instead of them becoming tools on our journey, right, they become prescriptions for the way it's supposed to be. And so it's, it's really important for us at times to back up from that and, and ask some of the important questions because here's the reality is sadly those cliches become cliches. Because there's some moniker of truth in them, isn't there? There's some moniker of truth that like churches that split over the color of the carpet or which ministries are supported or which this or which that. And, and I get it. I'm stepping on landmines left and right. It's like, like, yeah, like, whoa, we can't talk about that. But we can, right? Because we're family, right? Like if, if you're married, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't dream of like, not talking about your finances. You wouldn't, you wouldn't dream about not talking about how we disciple our kids. We wouldn't dream about fill in the blank, right? Like, we're family. And so it's, it's true because it happens to us. Like, it is part of our experience. We live in a culture and every single one of us, and we've been talking about this, every one of us is discipled in the rhythms of the culture we find ourselves in. You can't help it. You are a product of 21st century United States of America. 
And it, it hits you most when you go to other cultures. I was just a couple of years ago, we're a part of a broader network of churches called Water's Edge Network. And so uh, we, through them, do a lot of vision out things. A lot of our um, things, you know, scripture says in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, Redeemer is not going to get to the uttermost parts of the earth. So we're invested in places that can and are. And so one of those is through our Water's Edge family. And so uh, it was just a couple years ago that the a few of us pastors from our Water's Edge network went to see some of the international pastors that we're in. So we, we spent a few days in Cambodia and then a few days uh, just a little bit south of that in Indonesia and crazy flight, by the way. I was like, wow. I came back, I was like deathly ill. <laughs> I was like, what did I eat? It was terrible. But when we were with them, it was a life-altering experience. Why? Because you were experiencing the gospel in a different culture. They, they didn't have any of the same issues that you and I struggle with, right? And so um, let me show you, in fact, here's a picture of one of the guys. Let me put up that first one, if you can, Jordan. So the guy in the middle there with the bag across his chest, is, his name is Pastor Pana, and he is the happiest person that I have ever met in my entire life. We uh, just leave that picture up for a minute. We um, side note, just to let you know, kind of how he is. He <laughs> he's just larger than life personality, and he's like almost as big as me. And in Cambodia, that's like odd. So he's just like very recognizable in the city that he lives. And so he's just a ton of fun, like larger than life personality, laughing at everything. Amazing person, just a, just an absolute hero. In the faith, and so we had a Water's Edge Pastors Conference in Michigan, and it was in the winter one year. This was a couple of years ago, and they flew him in, and he was one. Of, he was going to speak to us, and he got here, and all he had was like his clothing from Cambodia. So it was like zero degrees. We got some Michiganders in the house today, and it was like zero degrees there. And he was walking around in shorts and flip flops, and he was so happy. We're like, dude, you're going to die. You can't like you can't do that. You got like you got like five minutes or less and you're at that's it. Right? Like playing in the snow, having a snowball fight, you know? And he just that kind of guy, like just so happy and so excited to be wherever the spirit of the Lord is moving. And so that was that was him and so we got to do some ministering things. So go to the second picture. So he's doing stuff with kids there. Show the second one there. It's a picture inside one of their church buildings. And I say one of their church buildings because they just like rented this space and it was similar to this, but they didn't have all the other things. Like it was just this room. And so it was like chaotic and they were singing and they were dancing and they were preaching and I couldn't understand any of it. And it was awesome. It was awesome. And then we were about to leave this place and he goes, because he's, just larger than life, he goes, Pastor, he's broken English, and he goes, we are multi-site church. It's like, that's incredible. 
Like, that's amazing. Like, innovating in Cambodia, like, it's amazing. He's like, yes, multi-site. Let's go. We call it Mango Campus. We go to the Mango Campus. And I was like, that's, I mean, this guy, he's more of a baller than I am. This guy's awesome. Like, I was like, let's go. And like, so we pile, he piles all of us in a van. And like, we start going. And uh, put up the next picture. And this is where he takes us. That's, that's the Mango Campus. And he just beaming. I mean, just beaming with joy that he gets to show us all this. And like probably a hundred people show up and go to church there. And it was like, it's just like in those moments where it's just like, okay, question. Like if, if we rolled outside right now and it's kind of rainy and it's kind of like, how fast would Redeemer grow? Answer, it wouldn't. Right? And like it's just reality, but there there are these moments like as people are bathing themselves in the river and they're they're coming up and and they're so happy that God just changes your perspective. Right? Like what are the things that matter? And I say it's it's so ironic that we have these conversations when we do because we just announced that we're going to move to a, a, a bigger building. <laughs> and God has us in a text saying, hey, there are things that matter and things that don't. And one of the things that doesn't matter, Mitch, is your building. Can God use it? Is it a tool? Of course. But at the end of the day, we all know, right, that it's not the building. And it's so important for us to remember that because when, when we're in there, like we were doing all kinds of stuff. They, they were baptizing people. They were praying with people. They went in that little trailer in the first one and there's all these kids and they were just fired up to see pastor. It was amazing. Then we went to the multi-site. <laughs> it was It was incredible. But you know, we would look at that and, you know, none of us would say that they were wrong for doing church like that, right? Like we would, we would never say, man, they need to get a building. We never, like, because cause that, that's actually inspiring, right? Like, like that's actually moving that like more than a hundred people will come stand under a tarp to worship Jesus in very hot place and, and all that. We, we would never say that, but at the end of it, but, but we would also not really do that, right? And so, so I'm building this case that there, there's like things that matter and things that don't because I don't have pictures of it, but we would fly south to Indonesia and go into one of the, one of the cities and towns outside of Jakarta. And it was one of the, most dangerous zip codes, most hostile zip codes to Christianity in the world. And we would look Pastor Sandy in the eye as he's baptizing people in a pool surrounded by a giant concrete fence because he could actually get killed for that. And I'm standing there going, what would they do to me? Right? Like, but it didn't matter in that moment because there was death to life and you're like, it's just, it's a resting 
the conviction that God brings into your life when you're watching these guys and Pastor Sandy is HIV positive and you know we're just talking to him and since that God's given him a family he's pastoring an incredible church and and I said like we were just asking him questions and I forget who asked it but somebody said like what drives you to do all this when it's so dangerous and he goes I already have a death sentence what can they do to me? He's just like, we're doing it. I mean, down to like, they live stream their church services on YouTube and Facebook. It's just like, come and find me. <laughs> He's not, not even hiding. Just incredible. And, and it's in those moments that, that you, you are confronted with what matters and what doesn't matter. And it's powerful and it's actually inspiring because we intuitively know that location isn't church. That it's people that are church. And we know that theologically, but what I want to challenge you with today is to begin to shape your life as though that is true. Because most of us, maybe all of us, have some things that need to be thought through when it comes to what God says about the people of God and about the role that they play in our life. And so when you come to Galatians chapter 2, you're, we're stepping into that conversation. We're stepping into a conversation about what is a gospel issue and what is a preferential issue. And Paul is going to say some things that are super important because there's a Jewish and a Gentile cultural difference happening in this text. And Paul's writing to his friends, right? Like he was a part of this place. He knows these people. He loves these people. And he's writing to them to say, what is the thing that actually matters? What is the main thing that matters. And so he's going to set that straight. But here's how he gets started. Look at Galatians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. It says, After 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me, because people matter, right? Did you ever wonder why all these names are in the Bible that we don't... Because it's people. It wasn't just about a task. It wasn't just about a place. It's about people. And so we have names, proper names. I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. This message of the gospel mattered so much to Paul that the people that heard it and received it and began to live it didn't stop living it because if they did, he would say, I wasted my time on you. That's a challenging thought. <laughs> that that kind of transformation would take place and it would change us. Powerful. So he goes on, he says, but even Titus who was with me was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. So you're starting to see some of the issues that were coming up. Verse 4, Yet because of false brothers, 
secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ, so that they might bring us into what? Say it. Slavery. So like when you roll in here and we shout for joy to the Lord, it's in the face of the recognition that there is another force at work at the same time. Right? That Satan is also working in your life. Super important to remember that. Because in our context, right? And we, I said we've been discipling our culture. Like we are able to, mo- for the most part, get our stuff done. Organize a plan. Get a raise. Get a job. Manufacture this. Work that out. And so it's harder for us to trust. To trust. And so there's, there's these forces at work. So verse 5 To them we did not yield in submission for even a moment. It's like very aggressive language, right? Like they wanted to put us in slavery. We didn't yield for a moment. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And you could put yourself there because if Paul didn't fight these battles, if Paul didn't walk through these doors... If Paul didn't write these things down, we would be unaware of some of the things that matter. And so God's preserved his word for us. And so we listen to it. Drop down to verse 7. It says, On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, or the Jewish people, also through me, through me for mine to the Gentiles. So they went two separate ways, preaching to two different groups of people. Verse nine. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be the who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave their right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles, and they should, and they to the circumcised. And so, what's happening there? Remember what Zach said last week is that Paul's establishing this credibility. And so out of his credibility establishment, he's starting to lay out, this is the ministry that God laid in front of me. So he gave Peter a certain ministry. He gave Paul a certain ministry. And that that was um, identified by the apostolic leaders of the time. So it was legit. So he's laying that so that what he says next is going to carry weight, that it's going to matter. And so drop down to verse 11, and then it starts to get interesting. <laughs> but when Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, listen to this, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. How much of that's happening in church these days? Not a lot, maybe should be more. Why? Because it because it matters. We're talking Peter and Paul here. Like, both of them wrote books of the Bible. Like, we're on that level. And Paul's like, Peter, you, you, you have a problem, and I'm willing to oppose you to your face. Pretty sure Paul wasn't a nine on the Enneagram. <laughs> that wasn't happening. Incredible. But look what, he, look what happens here. 
For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they did come, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So so are you seeing what's happening here? Paul's saying the gospel is for everybody. And there's freedom, not slavery in Christ. And he's looking at Peter that when the religious leaders aren't around, he's living in that freedom. And then when they come around, he stops living in that freedom and he starts to act like a hypocrite. Now, we understand what this is like because let's be real. Whether it's on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or TikTok or whatever the other ox are that you are on. We can project one thing and then we show up at church and we do what? Another thing. Or we can go to work and be one way and then we can come to church and be another way. And I'm not, I'm not just pointing fingers at you. Like I can be up here preaching about one thing and go home and be short with my wife. Or I can ignore my neighbor who God tells me to love. Or I can, and right, we like fill in the blank. And those are low-hanging fruit. Those are easy. We can take that farther if we need to. And so Paul's looking at Peter and saying, no, 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 like this is, this is wrong. This is wrong. And so he, he keeps going here. Verse 13, and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with them because leadership matters, right? Like who we're following matters. So he keeps going along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray. Paul's like, even, even Barney. I mean, the encourager. Even Barney was, was doing it. It's like it, it matters that much. Verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was, here it is, not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, before them all, publicly, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Hypocrisy. And listen, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stay on this nail for the whole service, right? I think I've been sufficient here in saying that every single one of us have that thing, right? Like, would would you agree with me that like, it, like, there's probably one or two things that like helped you choose Redeemer, and like, if that changed. Like you wouldn't like it as much, (laughs) right? You're all looking at me like, what do I say? (laughs) It's not a trick question. We're all like that, right? Like we all are. And yet, those aren't the main thing, are they? Like theoretically, we know what the main thing is. And yes, if I get up here and open the Quran, you should have a problem with that. (laughs) Obviously. And yet that's not what causes division in most churches, is it? It's not. So, So 
Paul's here like, I opposed him to his face. <laughs> like, you know, I can only imagine what Peter was singing, like, bro, relax, like, you used to kill people. <laughs> like, all I'm doing is changing where I eat dinner and what I eat at dinner. Like, but no, no, like, it, it mattered to Paul because Paul used to kill people. And then he met Jesus. Come on, somebody, right? And it changed things, right? And so it, 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 it actually does matter. Like, like if you have a neighbor who doesn't know Jesus and you actually think that this is the truth that will set them free, it does matter, doesn't it? Like, if, if we're going to continue as a church family and a church body and we're going to move less than a mile that way and put roots down in the neighborhood, the things that we go there and do, they do matter, don't they? Because they can get a great concert. I mean, Kevin's awesome. But they can get a great concert at Amelie, right? They can get a great concert. So there's got to be something beyond just good music, right? Like what we talk about with our worship team, we did this morning is that like, no, no, no. Like we're, we're worshiping together because we're peeling back this curtain where we can step into the courts of heaven with praise and into his presence with thanksgiving. Step into his throne room of grace for mercy and help in our time of need. Like that matters, Right? It's not, it's not just singing. Like it, it's, it's a place, it's one of the many places that God says he'll meet with us. And so that's why it matters. And so, so Paul is making such a big deal of this because even at that time, just like in our time, we as church folk, and I'm included in that, I've been a church folk since I was born, we're prone to care about the things that don't matter. We just are. And so let's just receive this as a prophetic call from God to make sure that we are sure that the main thing is the main thing. Because it is a huge deal. And, and, and so what's happening here is that the Jewish Christians are essentially telling the non-Jewish Christians that they've got to follow the rules. Like they've got to follow all the rules. No more bacon. The dudes have to be circumcised and the ladies need to have their head covered. Like, follow the rules, man. Like, you want to be in, you got to do the things. And Paul's like, whoa. You know, Peter's having dinner with these people one night and having ham and pork and, you know, doing his thing. And then he, a group of people come from Jerusalem and he, he's not having bacon. <laughs> And you're like, who cares if he's having bacon or not? They cared. They cared a lot. Because it was clean and unclean. And we don't have time to get into all that. But, but for Paul saying, even by what you eat, Peter, you're preaching. You're telling a story. You're preaching a message. And what Paul's inviting Peter to do is to step in and have the bacon. Because in Christ there's freedom. Right? And so, super important. Now, obviously, I'm overplaying the bacon thing. But I'm just saying, <laughs> he's like, no, you're not. Bacon. We're pro-bacon here. <laughs> I love it. Sorry to all the vegans. Not a vegan. Sorry. I love my bacon. Anyways, that was free. 
But why was that such a big deal? Because in the Old Testament, there were three kinds of laws. You can put these up on the screen. The first one is ceremonial laws. If you're taking notes, you can write these down and just Google them later. And you, you'll, there's like a lot out there. But ceremonial laws like the priesthood or circumcision or sacrifices or being in the temple or having a head covering. There was a lot because God is a God of order. And if he was uh, in that second category of civil laws... It mattered because we're talking about a theocratic government for Israel. Oftentimes when you read something in the Old Testament and you're like, whoa, is God, was God really that way? Like, why don't we do that now? Like, I, didn't, I wasn't standing at the door and they're like, oh, sorry, ladies, you don't have your head covered. You can't come in here. Like, you know, oh, you didn't, you brought a dove. It's not the right kind. Oh, you brought your, you brought your cruddy little sheep. You didn't bring your best to the Lord. Get out. Right? Like. You know, Jesus wasn't in here with a whip, whipping us all. Like, why? Because in that setting, God was their king. He was literally setting the way of life, and he was, he was calling them to live out these civil laws, this way of living and governing. And so it was different. So, so we don't follow the ceremonial laws today. We don't follow the civil laws, but there's a third category that we do, and these categories matter because it's moral. Ceremonial, civil, and then moral, right? Like, we don't wear head coverings, and we eat bacon, but we're still anti-murder, right? Like, I don't think anybody's going to argue that fact, (laughs) or rape, or stealing like like these are moral laws that we follow and so so th- those are those were the categories that they were in and you can imagine if for thousands of years all three categories mattered and then peter has a dream right that suddenly he can eat the bacon this is actually in the text by the way <laughs> and then everybody in jerusalem is just supposed to have bacon Like, bacon's been bad for, like, thousands of years. And now Peter has a dream. And we get to have bacon. And we don't even know how to cook bacon. (laughs) Right? Like, because it was that big of a deal. And so, that's what's happening. So, Paul lays out the hypocrisy of that. And this kind of idea, like, rules for me, so rules for thee. Right? Like, that's, like, the mantra And so Peter and the church are imposing these things and calling them to live this way uh, when the Gentiles really just needed to abide by God's moral law, right? Because who the Son sets free is free indeed. So Paul's correcting this. It's important for us to think through this today because what that leads to is if we don't have the main thing, the main thing, we, we end up in a couple different places. And so there's three gospel and culture options. Right? Like there's three ways that our gospel message interacts with culture. Number one, uh, there are, there could be many gospels for many cultures. Right? This is where our friends who are universalists would be. You know what? You do you. You believe what you want to believe. We'll all get there eventually, but you should just be good. Right? Like whatever the message is, whatever the religion is, like just, we'll get there. Like we're all around the base of a mountain and we're all going up and eventually we'll meet at the top. We would reject that here because that's not what Jesus says. Jesus said, I 
am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father at the top of the mountain except through me. It matters. The second one is one gospel and one culture for everyone, which is what's happening in this text. Right? Like, the gospel is here and everybody needs to look like we look, right? It's why for like decades we would send white people to other cultures with a King James Bible and say, this is the way, like, put your culottes on. You better learn English because if you don't have a King James Bible, you're not going to heaven. We would reject that. I know that's shocking to you, <laughs> right? Like, we would reject that because that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, and he's going to say it through Paul in a couple of weeks, that it is for freedom that Christ set you free. Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. And so with that matters. But there is a third category that we believe matters a lot. The third one is one gospel for every culture. One gospel for every culture, that there is one gospel, there is one Jesus, and no matter what culture it goes into for all of time, for the last 2,000 years, it's been in every culture, on every corner, in every city, of every nation, and it has always been true no matter what culture interacts with it. One gospel for every culture. So Paul takes that step then, and we do all of that legwork to get to this part. The part that matters. What then is the main thing? What is the main thing? What, what, did, what did we say all of that to say? Look at verse 15. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. The center of our Christian faith is not about what you can do for God. It's not. But church folk, <laughs> we slip into this out of order category where we start to put those things ahead of other things. But look at what he says. But through faith in Jesus Christ, so that so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. It doesn't matter how much money you give here. It doesn't matter how much you serve here. It doesn't matter how many hugs you give. It doesn't matter. No, nothing matters. No matter how many hot dogs you serve. That's not what gets you into heaven. Now those will become outworking of being in heaven. We are pro hot dogs. But the order matters, right? Here's why. Verse 17. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. What he's saying there is the law actually does matter because the law is what exposes you to the fact that you need Jesus in the first place. Because you have all these things that you aren't keeping. So even if you are pro-law, like you're not keeping them. And so he goes on, and this is where we want to land. Verse 19. If you got nothing else from today, take this. For through the law, I died to the law. So that, here it is, 
so that I might live to God. So that I might live to God. Some of you have walked in here today and you haven't been living. You've been existing. And I want you to know that in Jesus you can live. That you can live. I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. See, because in, in the gospel economy the way up is down. You have to die so that he can live through you. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. If you could do it on your own, then he came and died on the cross for nothing. And we know that that is not true. So Paul is clarifying that. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Redeemer City Church, what if we lived that way? What if we lived that way? What if we moved into this neighborhood right here and lived like that? Like laid down our preferences. And by the way, I have some. I've got some preferences for over there that I'd like to see happen. But what if that didn't matter? What, what, what if Redeemer City Church would lay its life down for the good of the body that's still there? The four or five people that still call that place home. Like what if even if it took us several years to really get what we want, but God has asked us to lay our life down for the good of another? What if that's the call? What if in that neighborhood we would be there for the neighborhood to love and to serve and to care and to pray? Jesus has been messing up religious categories for 2,000 years. And he's still doing it. There aren't many Gospels for many cultures. There's only one Jesus and one Gospel message for every culture. So how does that manifest itself? Like what does that look like on the ground? Like what does that look like this afternoon when you leave this place? What's that look like? It looks like John chapter 13 verse 34 and 35 that every moment of your life would be like this and Lord help me. Look at what it says. A new commandment I give to you. Why does he call this new? It's been there from the beginning. Because we need it like it's new. A new commandment I give to you. That you what? Come on. Love one another. Why, are we, why do we still stink at this? I mean we have our moments. But at the end of the day. Man look at this. That you love one another. How much? Just as I loved you. How did he love us? Talk to me. How did he love us? He died for us. Right? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. And here's why that's important as we walk 0.8 miles northwest. Why is that so, so important? 
Because verse 35 says, by this. This. Only this. Not our marketing. Not our band. Not our sweet building. All those are great. They're tools. And they're tools that I believe God wants us to use. But they're not the thing. Right? It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. It's that simple. And yet it's that difficult. Right? Right? By this will all people know that you're my disciples. If you have love for each other. Listen, we're not going to love people outside these walls well if we can't love each other inside these walls well. When you hurt, we hurt. When you celebrate, we celebrate. And we're learning how to do that every week. Like we're learning how to do that. And, you know, for some of you sitting in this room, we've probably failed you. But we want to get better. For others of you, we've, we've celebrated, we've cried, we've, we've done all the things. And it, but it all boils down to love as I have loved you. And so... On a seat near you is a communion element, and I want you to grab it because it's in that context that communion matters so much, right?